Hi, welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart, welcoming you back for another weekly market recap featuring Lance Roberts. Lance, buddy, how you doing? <laughs> Hanging in there. <laughs> Hanging in there. Well, look, we like to start with a theme for the week. Uh, I'm going to put one out there as whiplash. Uh, <laughs> but you tell me, what, what was your theme for the week? Um, Russia, 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 right? I mean, that's that's really what it's all about. Um you know, it is interesting. I actually wrote on Thursday morning, um, you know, we kind of woke up and we saw this, you know, big decline in the markets set up for Thursday morning. Markets were open down 3% on the NASDAQ. I was already getting flooded by emails and phone calls like, you know, oh my gosh, get me out of the market. I'm just like, calm down, relax. Don't let emotions override your investment strategy. If we go back and look at 2014, when Russia invaded Crimea, now, this is interesting because this was in February, very much like we are now. Apparently, Putin likes February. I don't, I don't know why, but it happens that way. Probably because tanks can move over the frozen <laughs> ground in February, but that's just a guess. It could be. So, but in January and February of that year, markets had already been declining. We already had a pretty good oversold market. Markets were about three standard deviations below the 50-day moving average. I know, a lot of technical mumbo-jumbo. Don't worry about it. It just means the markets had already sold off a lot. And then the moment that the headlines hit that Russia had invaded Crimea, the market bottomed right at that point and then took off and rallied for the next couple of weeks. Uh, so now this is all technical, right? This has not, I know don't get into the whole, we got monetary policy differences, we have inflation differences, yes we do. But the point is if you go back in history and I've actually got some charts in this weekend's newsletter, geopolitical events have very little short-term impacts on markets. The much more important events, the things that cause crises, bear markets, and big and big down drafts in markets in general are Fed policy events. So hiking interest rates and reducing monetary policy. That's coming up in March. We haven't got there yet. So, you know, it was very interesting. We saw the market open down sharply on Thursday, completely reverse that rally and then rally through Friday. And this was what we had written earlier in the week saying, look, we're very oversold. We're due for a reflexive rally. And that's exactly what we saw. Now, this doesn't mean we're moving back into a bull market. But it just means that the markets were very oversold and we were due for a reflexive rally. And this is why it's so important to stick with your investment strategy, your discipline. Don't get deviated by these events because the market has already priced in a lot of the stuff before the event actually occurs. Thanks. Well, look, I knew this was going to be um, a I'll say exhausting week for you. So I came prepared. You always talk about drinking. So I, I thought I'd have a beer here for you. <laughs> Given the type of week this was, particularly the action after, you know, the, the Russian incursion, uh, I thought we might have to go a little bit harder. So just in case you need it, we got this yes. on reserve here for you, Lance. Um, you I'm more of a Scotch man, but okay. <laughs> all right, good, good. Well, look, so um, th this, I think really does this week proved in point a lot of what you talk about, right? Where you talk about the importance of looking at, uh, you know, the, the data, the, the standard deviations to, to note that even if we're in a downtrend, that downtrends can have relief rallies in them. And so you want to look to see how stretched things get. And we talked about that a few weeks back. We talked about it at the end of last week. And as you mentioned, you, you, you at your firm wrote about it earlier this week that we were, were more likely for a bounce. Um, even I myself, and I don't really do this very often, I took a, a, a long position against the market on Wednesday. Uh, then, of course, we had 
Wednesday night, which is when you know Russia started going after Ukraine. Right. And I mean, the markets were just, you know, understandably, they were down huge. They were down, you know, two and a half percent or so overnight. Um, some more, uh, they opened down. I looked at my short position, which actually was a call. So I was down like 40%, you know, like an hour's <laughs> worth of trading. And you started to position. rethink that whole position right then. Oh, <laughs> exactly. But, but to your point, you know, I, I, I realized why I bought it, thought I'd let it play out. And then of course we had this just phenomenal, uh, trough to peak, uh, right. response here. And I think the NASDAQ on Thursday went 7% in total. It was down. Right. Uh, 4% or close to 4 and then up over 3%. Uh, so NASDAQ was up, like I said, or whole difference was about 7%. S&P was up uh, 1% yesterday, up another close to 2.5% today. So, you know, since, you know, even though there was an invasion on Wednesday night and everybody would think, okay, well, markets are definitely going down from here. Well, 48 hours later, we're looking at the S&P up uh, 3.5% and the NASDAQ up over 5 um, so to your point, um, you know, we can get really kind of whipsawed around uh, by, uh, you know, a lot of these daily developments, but even something extreme like this, they don't necessarily play out the way that we all expect they're going to. And it may be the more dominant trends that play out at the end of the day. I see you yeah. nodding here as I'm saying this, so I'll give you the football back. No, no, it's fine. It's because you bring up some great points. So first of all, you know, that 7% swing in the NASDAQ, uh, my partner, Michael Leibowitz, uh, did some research on that to find out how many times that that's occurred since 2000. And it's only occurred five times that we've had a similar type of swing in the NASDAQ. Two of them occurred right at the beginning of the bear market in during the dot-com crash. Three occurred during the bear market of 2008 during the financial crisis. So these type of rally swing events are not something that generally occur in a healthy market, right? And so that's the important lesson to take away from here is that we're still in a correctional process. Are we at the beginning of a bear market? Maybe we got very close to triggering a head and shoulders uh, sell signal on Wednesday. We actually broke the neckline on Wednesday. Now, in order for a signal to be valid, right? And this is, I think a lot of people make mistakes with technical analysis because they say, well, you know, it, it broke the moving average, so I'm going to sell everything, right? Uh, you, you see a lot of people trading off the 200-day moving average is a good example. And so the market breaks the 200-day moving average, they immediately sell everything because, you know, that's it violated the technical level. And then the next day, the market goes right back up and takes off again. And, you know, they're trying to scramble to get back in. The way to use technical analysis, we're going to deviate for a second, but the way we use, I shouldn't say the way to use it because I'm, everybody does it a little differently. The way we use it in, in, our, in our methodology is that we do have stop levels, but generally by the time that you break a stop, stop level, the market is over, oversold to some degree and you're probably going to get a bounce. So what we look for is we say, okay, great. We broke our stop level. We know we need to sell that position. We wait for the bounce. And then when the bounce occurs, then we'll sell into that strength. And that's what we've been recommending for the last couple of days. So, you know, if you go to our website, realinvestmentadvice.com and subscribe to our daily commentary, we put out instructions every morning before the market opens. This is where the market is. This is what we're recommending doing. Um, and this, we have some other little tidbits about markets and other stuff in there. It's, a, it's just kind of a daily little quick update. It takes you about two minutes to read it. But it's just a good primer to kind of get you started for the day. Um, but also just to kind of help put things into focus as to what we're looking at on a technical basis and kind of how to trade these markets. 
because again, volatility is going to be our friend for the rest of this year because of what's going on. And, and we're now going to have this rally. It'll take us back to the 200-day moving average. If we get above that, the 50 days next. Um, but shortly after this, we're about to run into the Fed. Um, the Fed's got their meeting. We're going to be talking about hiking rates. Personal income and personal spending came in today stronger than expected. Uh, the deflator for GDP was stronger than expected. That's going to really push on the Fed to hike interest rates. Now, do they do 50 basis points or do they do a quarter basis point? So that was kind of our commentary today that we wrote on our, on our website, talking about how geopolitical risk, now what's going on in, in Russia and Ukraine, is, is certainly going to get factored in by the Fed because geopolitical events, they do um, slow down or they do impair consumer confidence. And, and why do we do QE? Ben Bernanke stated in 2010, the reason we do QE is to boost asset prices. So we increase consumer confidence. So they'll go out and spend money and support economic growth. So consumer confidence is very important. Well, with consumer confidence already on a lot of pressure, and of course now with this geopolitical event going on, it certainly won't be surprising to see the Fed mention something about this when they have their meeting, if not even before the meeting, by the time we have the meeting, they're mentioning, hey, you know what, we're gonna do a quarter basis point now, we're watching geopolitical events and we'll, you know, we'll adjust monetary policy as we go. That wouldn't be surprised at all. Now, if they do that, that'll be positive for the markets and we'll see a strong rally. So these are the things that we've got to all factor in. And to your point, some things that aren't working like you thought they would, you know, I uh, got a phone call from a gentleman on Wednesday, uh, late Wednesday night, took his entire portfolio, bought gold with it. That didn't work out well. Had a great open. <laughs> gold sold off the entire day um, during the whole Russia invasion. I mean, that's that doesn't make sense. It would seem like that's the perfect fear trade setup, right, for gold. And it absolutely worked exactly opposite of what you thought it would. Yeah, if I can just chime in on that for yeah. the folks that weren't watching as closely as you and I were. So gold was around 1900 an ounce uh, mm -hmm. by the end of the day on Wednesday. In the overnight market, in the futures market, as Russia began the incursion, it got up to like 1975. I mean, right. it had a tremendous increase. And um, I think everybody who owned gold said, well, gosh, thank goodness, that's why I hold gold, right? For when scary things like this happen, it's crisis insurance. It looks like it's performing the way that it's supposed to. But then the markets opened. And then throughout the whole day, gold just kept going down and down and down and down and down. Uh, it actually exactly closed. The op yeah, exactly, exactly the opposite, the opposite. Of what you thought. Yeah, yeah it, cl it closed right. And, and, and I talked about this in today's video with uh, the guys from New Harbor. Um, the miners were even more maddening mm -hmm. because you, you woke up in the morning thinking, OK, well, the miners are going to have an amazing day today. Right. Gold just went up 75 bucks an ounce overnight. The miners are going to explode. Right. Well, they opened pretty much going nowhere. And then, uh, you know, as, as stocks got hammered, they decided to trade like stocks. Right. So they started going down. And then about midday. Gold started coming down and they just switched teams and they thought, right. well, now gold's going down. So we're going to go down with gold. Right. So they just went down, down the entire day. <laughs> right. None of that, none of that act action in gold and silver had you know, yeah. followed gold uh, benefited the miners in any way, shape or form. And it was exactly the opposite of what you would have predicted when the market opened yeah. on Thursday morning. Um, and it's not a reason to say don't own those things. They, they don't work no. the way that you think they're going to do in the long run. But certainly in the short term, they can really confound you. Right. Well, and, and, and this goes back to our conversation we had last week about making one-sided bets. 
you know, this is why we do warn very much is like, be careful making a one-sided bet. I, you know, I've gotten a lot of phone calls from people lately. Like, I, I'm all in gold and silver because the world's going to end and, and the dollar value is going to go to zero. I will take the other side of that bet all day long because in a crisis event, money moves out of those countries into the U.S. dollar. So again, you're getting a strong, and we, that's what we saw on, on Thursday was a stronger U.S. dollar that impaired oil prices and impaired gold prices. And again, that's why you saw all this stuff, you know, stuff not working the way you thought. So it's, there's nothing wrong with owning these assets. And I think they're a good asset class to own. And, and, and if you're building, it's what we call a bulletproof portfolio. We're actually uh, talking about that in this weekend's newsletter. But, you know, for the rest of this year, the idea of building a bulletproof portfolio is going to be very important. Gold and commodities certainly pay a part in that bulletproof type structure, because again, it does shield you from other, you know, issues like inflation and fear and other things like that. But to be all into one asset class on a bet for the end of the world typically doesn't work out as well as you think it will. Yeah, it, very good that we keep reminding folks of that. All right, so I want to ask you about a couple other asset sure. classes and how they performed in the past twenty-four hours or forty-eight hours. Um, and in the uh, in honor of the guy who. Uh, called you and went all into gold, who's probably got a bit of a headache right now. And to the spirit of my next question for you, Lance, about uh, the shorts and the bond position that you've been building up over time, yeah. we might need something a little bit more powerful than scotch. So I've got the absinthe here. Nice. So if we really need to crack this open, we will. It's just um, still in the box too. So this yeah. goes to... <laughs> so, um, so First, let me say, I think you're doing the exact right thing, which is, you know, you said, look, as, as, as you know, we'd hit the January lows, as things were strengthening a bit into February, you were saying that you were using that bounce to add into shorts and that you've been adding to uh, to bonds for the reasons we've talked about in detail last uh, session. Right. Um, so I won't rehash them all here, but you've been, you've been adding into bonds, expecting long-term treasury interest rates to go down. And I got to tell you, Thursday morning, you look like a genius. I'm sure all of your customers who had watched those videos said, Lance is just the man, right? Because uh, there was exactly how you wanted to be positioned for right. that type of open. Then, of course, we had the huge rebound that we thought of. So I'm sure by the end of the day, you were thinking like, ah, God, you know, but 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 talk about that just for a minute. Sure. Yeah. Well, so first of all, our, our bet on bonds was not a crisis event. Right. So we weren't buying bonds expecting, you know, an invasion into Russia. That's not why we're buying bonds. Our bonds are a longer term bet for the rest of this year. And the reason that we're buying bonds now, and we touched on this before, but look, you have liquidity coming out of the system. So all that $5 trillion worth of liquidity we put into the system in, in, in 2020 and 2021. And now you have a, a massive flood of, of capital monetary uh, infusion going into the economy and the economy was shut down. So you have no supply. So you have too much money chasing too few goods and therefore you get inflation. And I just had a conversation with a, a gentleman today talking about this. He's like, well, look at 10% inflation. I just can't you know, make enough money in the market to outpace inflation. I'm like, well, that's fine, except we're not going to have 10% inflation. We're going to have two, two and a half percent inflation as we get into next year. And the reason for that is now, if you take a look at retail, retail inventories, you take a look at manufacturer inventories, those inventories are now surging because all these companies have come back online. They're back to work. We've, we, we're, we figured out how to work online or in the office, and we're now producing goods. And so those goods are now starting to stack up on inventory at a time that all this liquidity has now come out of the market because we're not doing any more $1,400 checks or $900 checks or whatever it is. And so now you're gonna have too many goods and not enough money. 
And we're starting to already see that work through disposable personal incomes, which will be sorely negative next month. Um, and so now you're going to have a deflationary push in the economy, which will drive yields lower. So again, as we kind of, so our, our bond bet is not something that is a crisis bet. It's a longer term disinflationary bet through the end of this year as things normalize within the economy. We're going to have go back to 2% economic growth, 2% inflation, you know, somewhere around there. And I wouldn't be surprised if we actually get less than that. All right. And, and can I just add for sure. you to react to, I, I also believe your bond position is a bit of a hedge against some sort of um, larger sort of global financial hiccup, right? Where, right. Um, you, you know, capital may start fleeing for safe haven, um, especially foreign capital, and that would go into U.S. treasuries, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that's absolutely right. So, you know, if, if this thing in the in if Russia, Ukraine evolves into a full scale European war, um, it doesn't matter what currency you're in, you're going to shift your currency, your reserve currencies into U.S. dollars. The only way you can store U.S. dollars is in U.S. treasuries. So, yeah, you're going to have a, a an unnatural bid to bonds if that would occur. Yeah. And I also just want to say, too, um, at least from my perspective, you know, bonds were the smart place to be you know, in what happened on Wednesday night, mm -hmm. what happened on Thursday was just so freaking unpredictable and aberrant. <laughs> you know, I don't want folks to walk away saying, oh, okay, a country gets invaded overnight. Therefore, the stock markets are going to go, you know, bananas to the upside tomorrow. That normally doesn't happen. <laughs> well, no, you'll be actually, Adam, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Please, because, please do. Well, no, I'm not, I, I, and we're not arguing about this, but actually, uh, again, I'll send you the chart. Um, so I did a chart looking back going to, to 1985, and I just kind of mapped out all the different events, right? The Gulf War, the Kosovo War, the invasion of Crimea, Crimea um, you know, kind of went through all of them. And you'll be surprised, really, honestly, these invasions have like no impact on the market. <laughs> so, wow. you know, what really does, though, is, of course, when the Fed's hiking rates, that's that's what impacts markets. All right. Great. I, was, I was surprised, too. I, I would have thought what you thought until I did the work. Yeah, yeah. So if you've got the chart centered over and I'll, I'll overlay it while we're talking yeah, yeah. here just so folks can see it, because um, that's great insight. Um, and folks, that's what you get by working with a financial advisor who's been done nothing but track the markets day in, day out for decades. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, one other asset class I just want to get your opinion on. So um, Russian stocks got slammed. Mm -hmm. yesterday, right? Yeah. And obviously, you would expect that to happen, right? For a country that's about to face, you know, massive new sanctions. Um, they've got some world-class uh, resource companies. Uh, right. I'm thinking specifically about, um, and this is not personal financial advice, just want to make sure that's really clear. Uh, but they've <laughs> got Gazprom, they've got Luke Oil, um, they've got two gold mines that Rick Rule says basically have the best prospects of any gold mines in the world. Uh, that's Polyus and Polymetal. Um, pretty much all those companies got shellacked uh, when the market opened yesterday. Uh, some of them down as much as 50%. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so you guess sort of one question is, is, is uh, you know, are these toxic assets? We shouldn't think about uh, touching them. I'm, I'm going to remove for a moment people's ethical decisions, whether yeah. they want to invest in those companies or not, given what Russia's done. That's totally up to you as an individual. Um, but, you know, are, are, the, are these toxic assets or could this be sort of one of those miraculous, you know, once in a blue moon opportunities where something very valuable goes on sale? Um, it is the latter. It is going to be those. Those are going to be great assets at some point. But the only question is: Is it now, or is it three months from now, or six months from now? So, 
you know, the way to approach that trade, and, and this is something we're kind of digging around already in our, in our shop, kind of looking for some, you know, potential opportunities, is, so let's say that, let's just pick Luke Oil as, a, as an example, right? So let's say you want to build a 5% position of Luke Oil in your portfolio. You think that that, and, and again, not financial advice example, right? So I'm not telling you to go do this. Um, so let's say you're going to build a three or four or 5% position in your portfolio. That's what you want to own of, of Luke Oil as an example. So, you know, you go buy 1% here. And if it goes down some more, it goes down another 10%, another 20%, you buy another 1%. When it starts to recover, and this is really the, the, the way you want to approach this, that, you know, we always talk about people want to try to buy the dip, right? So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to buy this thing all the way down until I just wind up at zero. The, there, is a, there is a risk here that these stocks may not recover for a very long time, depending on how this outcome comes. These sanctions on Russia are not going to be healthy for the economy for a long time. So these things could remain very depressed assets for quite a while. So you need to be aware of that going in. So the way to approach something like this is you buy a little bit of it here, you buy a little bit more if it goes down, but keep some powder dry. And I would rather be buying the stock when it is recovering. I don't need to buy the bottom. What I want to know is where was the bottom? And I want to buy that on the way back up. So maybe I buy 1%, maybe I get a 2% weight in it in my portfolio. And then I just wait. And if it keeps going down, it keeps going down. Fine. No, no problem with that. I've only got 2% of my portfolio invested in it. It's fine. Do have a stop loss level at some point where you exit it and just agree that you're wrong. Great. It's a dead um, trade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, hey, you know, that's the thing about it is it doesn't mean it's a bad trade. It just means you bought it wrong. That's, that's all it means. And, and so we can always buy it back later at a lower price. And so always, always have your stop losses in place. But, and this is the way we treat every position in our portfolio. Every position we buy in our portfolio, and we have some positions that we've owned for years and we'll own them for years from now, but we reduce those positions from time to time when they get overbought, we add to them when they get oversold. Um, but when we enter a position, every position we buy to start with is always a trade. And we buy 1% of the position to start with. If our thesis plays out that our technicals are right and our fundamentals are right, the stock does what it's supposed to do, we build into that position as it's going up, letting the stock confirm that our investment decision was right. The worst thing you can do, and, and uh, Paul Tudor Jones always said this, is, is that only losers buy losers. So if you're if you have a position that's going down, don't keep buying it on the way down. There's an old you know always hear people say, well, if you loved it at twenty, you're going to love it at ten, right? <laughs> no, that is a great way to destroy capital. Good example of that was Cisco Systems back in two thousand. People were buying it at eighty. They loved it at 60. They loved it at 40. They hated it at 20. And they were miserable <laughs> in 10. And guess what? 20 years later, that stock has now got has not even gotten back to where it was at the peak of the market in 2000. So you've had 20 years of dead money in companies like Cisco. So, you know, never buy a losing asset. Leave it. Come back to it later when it starts to confirm your thesis was correct. All right. Good, good cautionary tale. And, and look, folks, I'm not pushing these stocks at all. I do just want to note, because I was looking at them, uh, some of them pay really attractive dividends, like 6% right. and 10%. Um, and of course, there's a ton of, of country risk there, you know, with Russia. Um, but as Rick Rule, you know, says, hey, you know, 
he said this pre-Russian invasion, he said, you know, he doesn't mind having some money in a place like Russia because it, it provides some additional diversification right. uh, to his portfolio because most of his, you know, assets like most of us are, are in U.S. stocks. Um, I will say, and again, not pushing these things at all. Right. Most of them are up about 30% from their bottom yesterday. Uh, TBD, where that bottom, you know, the long-term bottom is, TBD, what's going to happen, you know, with Russia? Are things going to cool off from here? Are they going to get right. worse? Who knows? Um, but it... it um, uh, you, you gave people who might be interested a good progression to follow if they right. decide they look at these stocks and want to nibble around a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, just, you hit on a good point because I get this question. I, you know, I get people email me this a lot. It's like, oh, I bought this stock for the dividend. Worst investment advice ever is buying a stock for the dividend yield. And there's a, there's a litany of stocks that have a dividend of five, six, seven, eight percent and has lost 50 percent of their value. So never buy a stock for the dividend. The yield is only a function of the coupon that it pays, or, or sorry, the actual cash dividend that it pays by the price of the stock. So you never get the dividend yield. What you get is the cash dividend. And there's a lot of companies that pay a dollar in cash per share and has a 5% yield because of where it is relative to the price. But there's plenty of other companies that pay $3 a year in the dividend and only have a 2% yield, right? Um, yield is just a mathematical equation. You don't get yield. And the worst thing that people do, and I see this, I have people tell me this all the time. Well, I don't mind if it goes down in value because I'm getting the yield. It doesn't matter if you destroy the, if you destroy your capital more than the yield is providing, you've lost money. And that's not a great way to grow capital long-term. So it's always about capital preservation at the end of the day, the yield, the dividend income. And we talked about this last week. You get, you get three things from a total return portfolio. You get interest income from your bonds, you get the dividend yield from your stocks, and you get the capital appreciation from your stocks. Destroy any one of those three things, you destroy the total return of the portfolio, which is the entire goal to start with. All right, great. Well, all right, so let's get tactical here now. So we okay. had this uh, crazy week. Um, any particular trades that you guys have made this week, you know, whether you're taking into account what happened in Russia or not, uh, you know, you mentioned you're kind of focused more on the larger picture, maybe what the Fed might do, et cetera, because um, you think that has more long-term effect on asset prices. Um, you making any trades of note this week? We, have, we haven't made any major changes to our portfolio this week. We're still carrying our short position. We may trim that one off a little bit here, depending on how the market finishes out on, uh, finishes up on Monday. Um, I suspect that this rally is going to fail next week. We'll see when we get there. No worries. there. There's a couple of things that are counterbalancing each other as we move into March. First of all, March is the fifth strongest month of the year in terms of total returns. And it's following two very weak months in the market. So there's every indication that we could have a positive rally month in the month of March. However, moving beyond that, as we get past the Fed meeting and initial rate hikes, those are other things that are going to start to weigh on asset prices as the economy slows down, as we begin to see more impacts on earnings going forward, as inflation starts to curtail, we're going to start to see some impacts on equities in April, May, June, getting into the summer. So we're using this current rally um, as an opportunity to reduce some risk in our portfolio with positions that are not performing as well as we would like. 
um, reducing some of the overall beta of the portfolio. So when we look at our portfolio, we've got a portion of our portfolio that has higher beta than the market. In other words, they tend to move faster than the market. That also works on the way down, by the way. Um, and then we have other uh, positions that have lower beta than the market. So we try to balance this between the portfolio to give us a, a bit of an edge in terms of trying to create asset growth over time. So in the areas that we have higher beta, we're starting to reduce those positions on this rally. And that'll leave us with a little bit more low beta, stable, uh, stable volatility type uh, positionings in our portfolios to kind of stabilize the portfolio as we move into the month of March and, and begin to really evaluate what's gonna happen with the Fed. So, you know, we talk about risk management a good bit. And this is just that part of risk management where we're just managing the risk within the portfolio relative to the market and to our benchmark. All right, great. So it sounds like you're saying, you know, all things being equal, you'd kind of, you'd kind of expect March to, to be an up month for the mm -hmm. markets, given that they've sold off and that March is usually a strong month. This is kind of a special March though, because we've got the Fed meeting and that's really going to sort of set the tone. First off, when is the Fed meeting? The mid middle month? Yeah, month? It, it comes around. It's the, I don't know the exact date, Adam. I'm sorry. Um, it, it should be around the third week of March. Okay. Well, we'll be yeah. talking about it on this program yeah. as we get closer, but, 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 you know, second, third week of March, it sounds like. Um, okay. And then do you have a sense for whether you think, uh, uh, you know, on, on the margin, we're more likely to have a, a you know, a, a positive surprise from the Fed or a negative surprise? In other words, do you think they're going to be, are they more likely to be more dovish? Or I don't want to say dovish because they're going to be tightening, but, but you know, right. are, they, are they going to be less dovish than people expect or more, sorry, less hawkish than people expect or more hawkish than people expect? Well, that's that's kind of the the thrust of the article. We wrote an article today. Uh, that's kind of the thrust of the article we posted on our website today, really kind of talking about geopolitical risk and how it typically impacts the Federal, Re Federal Reserve. And if we go back and look at previous events, 2018, 2019, they mentioned uh, geopolitical risk several times during their FOMC meetings because of what was going on with China. Uh, they mentioned it heading up into Brexit when we had the whole issue uh, occurring around there. So these geopolitical events are something that the Fed does factor in. So Moving into March and with the markets oversold now, and, and the reason I'm being a little bit skittish about you know where we're kind of positioning our portfolio, I'm not wanting to get very negative here, is because if the Fed comes in and says, you know what, we're going to hike rates 25 basis points, and then we're going to wait and see and watch this geopolitical risk that we've got going on, the markets are going to rally pretty hard off of that because the markets are already expecting a 50 basis point hike and a rapid reduction to zero in QE. So, you know, if the Fed comes in and says, hey, we're still going to stop QE, but we're not going to taper yet. And we're going to just do a 25 basis point hike or even, you know, even say we're going to wait and see one more month or, you know, wait until our next meeting before we, you know, look at hiking rates. If any of that type of thing occurs because they're concerned about this geopolitical risk, and I'm, I'm not saying this is what they're going to do. I'm just saying if they if this comes in more dovish than what the markets have been expecting, and this whole sell-off from January was not about Russia. This was about the Fed and you know prepping for that meeting. So if they come in any more dovish than what the markets have been already anticipating, we're going to have a fairly strong rally. I mean, you know, the markets could literally get back to, to all-time highs, you know, 
on a, a more dovish Fed. And then we'll have to deal with the Fed after that. So it'll just simply kick the can down a road a bit. But that is simply a possibility, which is why I don't want to be overly negative in our portfolios. We can quickly remove our hedges. We can quickly add equity exposure and you know participate with the market. Yeah, we may miss a little bit of the market run, but that's okay. That, and our job is not to try to beat the market. Our market, our job is to try to make money for our clients safely. So, you know, I can take cash that I've already accumulated. We've raised a good bit of cash in our portfolio. We've got a short position. I can reverse all that in a matter of moments and be in the markets, uh, you know, after the Fed meeting occurs. So I'm kind of just waiting to see what the market does. Let the market tell me what it wants to do. And then we'll navigate it from there. All right, great. Well, look, I love to end these things on uh, something practical that the audience can take away and apply in their own portfolios. Mm -hmm. I think maybe you've already given us a great gem for this week, which is just a, a stark reminder of uh, the the dangers of letting your emotions drive your investing decisions. And uh, that example you gave about the guy who saw what was going on in Russia and said, oh my God, you know, I'm just a thousand percent convinced that gold's going to the moon from here. Put me all in, yeah. right? Got surprised, right? So um, I think that is a great reminder. Uh, anything else that you took from the week that you think the average investor should pay attention to? Yeah, two things, uh, two very important things. One is I get a lot of emails talking about how we're going to have hyperinflation and and you know the the world's going to end as we know it. And look, I, I get it, right? You know, we've had the Fed printing money like crazy. We've got thirty trillion in debt. You know, all those type of things. Um, We've got 40 year high inflation. I mean, sure, yes, you know, people are but, spooked. Yeah. And, and absolutely right. And, and that would seem to be the case. And if that was organic inflation, okay, I, you know, we can, we can discuss that. Russia is a really good example, though, of what creates hyperinflation in an economy. And what is hyperinflation? And, you know, again, a lot of people refer back to, the, to Weimar Germany as a good example. Hyperinflation comes from three things. When a country is losing a war, when, when there is a complete loss of faith in a country's ability to service its debts, and when there is a, a, a economic catastrophe of astronomical proportions, right? So an economy is going into a massive depression. So, you know, you've got to have one of those three things, because again, what, what creates hyperinflation is the value of, of what people attribute to the currency. It doesn't mean the value of the currency itself. We're not talking about what the dollar can buy. We're talking about what, what value people attribute to that currency. And so for us to have truly long-lasting hyperinflation, we need to be in a much worse situation than we are now. So again, and this goes back to making those one-sided bets uh, that we were talking about earlier. You know, it, it's there's a lot of very negative, you know, media driven analysis out there that's that's great to sell you newsletters and, you know, sell you other stuff. So, you know, just be careful what you're reading and, and just understand that what's happening in Russia, Russia is, is getting sanctions put on them. They're in the middle of a war. So you can certainly understand why the, the stuff that's happening to the ruble right now is happening, right? Because they are in exactly the situation that you would expect to cause people to say, I don't want my money in Russian rubles, I'm moving it somewhere else. That's what you, we don't have that here, right? We're not in that situation. So- Well, as, as Americans, you know, up to now, we've been the currency that they move into when they're fleeing another one. Exactly. And for right now, that's still the case, 
right? For right now, that's still the case. We, we haven't lost reserve currency status. Now, if we lose reserve currency status, we got a totally different conversation, right? So, and things can and will change. The average life history of reserve currencies is about 200 years or so. So we're at the end of that curve anyway. But, but the point is, is, is when we're investing money, just try to keep focused on what's happening right now, rather than letting these bigger macro economic thesis invade that short-term mentality to your portfolio. These things take decades to play out sometimes. And, and again, we need to just be conscious of timeframes and understand that our duration of our portfolio is much more important relative to what our goals are rather than to some of these longer term outcomes that we don't really have any control over whatsoever. One other thing here is I wrote an article exclusively for MarketWatch uh, last week and I'll post it on our website on Tuesday talking about oil, oil and energy stocks. Energy stocks are grossly, grossly overbought. Oil prices are grossly, grossly overbought. And, and the one thing that impacts oil prices ultimately is the Fed hiking interest rates. So I, I, did, a, I did an article for MarketWatch, but I'll have that analysis. And we've, been we've already been taking some profits out of our energy stocks because they're grossly overbought. We're talking two and three standard deviations overbought. Um, I know a lot of people that have gone just crazy buying energy stocks. And that's great. They've done great for you, but don't forget to take some profits and reduce some of that risk in your portfolio because those will ultimately reverse as all things do when they get overbought. You stretch your band in one direction, it's going to go back in the other direction eventually. Just be aware of that. All right, great. And would you say that if somebody wants to take action on that, besides working with a financial advisor, if mm -hmm. they're more do-it-yourself or uh, would that be, do you think, shorting individual companies or are no, buying no, no. maybe like an inverse ETF, like a drip? No, no, I, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do or, that. Or just uh, take profits. <laughs> I would just take profits. Yeah, no, I'm not saying, I'm not poo-pooing the industry. I'm just saying that oil prices are the point to where you're going to get economic slowdown and you're going to get the Fed hiking rates. And those two historically cause oil prices to, to drop. And so those stocks are going to reverse. Um, you know, you don't really have the setup just yet for a good short in those positions. And there, there'll be a time for that. But I would definitely be reducing some of the position sizing, particularly if you have a big overweight in energy um, in your portfolio. Just take some profits, lock some of those gains in. They've had great runs. Just reduce them a little bit here. Still own them for right now because they're still working. Uh, and just be prepared that eventually they're going to stop working. Um, back in, in November of 2020, we wrote an article about why you wanted to own energy stocks. Um, and that was when nobody wanted them. Now yeah. everybody wants them, which tells you that you're probably closer to the end of the trade than not. All right, great. And we're running out of time here, but just real quick, what's your opinion on, on say, somebody holding a, a lot of uh, gains in energy stocks in using stops, just setting some stops? So Absolutely. They, they get some upside still if they continue to run for a while, but but they've got some protection on the downside. No, look, you if you're managing your own money and you're not doing and you're not using stops, you need to quit managing money. <laughs> so, All right. I mean, so, so then could you just take a minute and describe what stops are for folks that aren't familiar with that term? Absolutely. So we actually did a, a video on our website. I'll have to see if I can dig it up for you, Adam. But we, we actually did a video about how to play stops on a portfolio. And I'll, I'll let me see if I can find the link for you and I'll send it over to you. Um, Great. If the, you do, we'll put it down in this uh, description of this video, folks. Perfect. Um, but basically, look, there's there's set, there's a, there's no set way to set a stop. Um, William O'Neill, who wrote the book Making Money in Stocks, uses an eight percent stop loss. I don't like percentage stop losses because, as we've seen lately, 
markets can whipsaw 8% in a day these days. So, I mean, you have a stock down 10% in the morning and be up 10% in the afternoon and you got stopped out and you missed the whole run. Um, you know, I like moving averages. So pick the 50-day moving average. If you break below the 50-day moving average and you stay below the 50-day moving average for more than uh, a few days, that's your stop loss. Um, or pick a level where there was a previous level of support. If you break that, you stay below it for a couple of days, that's your stop. And, the, and if you notice, I'm saying if you stay there for a couple of days, and the reason is, is that a lot of times, like I said earlier, you can break a stop level. Good example was Wednesday. We broke very important support in the market. Next day, we're at it. Today, we're above it. So that negated that entire break of, of the stop loss. So again, you want to be down there and stay below that stop loss for a couple of days. But that's a good idea to say, mm, this stock is kind of broken now, so I'm going to get out of it and move my capital somewhere else for the time being. All right, great, thanks. Well, folks, I, I do want to give a nod to, um, I had a number of people emailing me this week asking if Lance and I were going to do an emergency video uh, midweek in between sessions. As we said, we might if things got really crazy this week. And we weren't even thinking about Ukraine when we said that. Um, Lance and I did communicate and we decided yeah. that given the, the Thursday, you know, massive reversal, uh, that it, it wasn't necessary and we just sort of go into depth in, in this session. Um, but I just want to know we do keep our eyes, we did keep our eye on it. And if we ever do have a week where we think you need to hear something sooner, um, we will do it. So uh, with that, Lance, um, I'm going to let you go get a well-deserved uh, rest this weekend. You've got to be exhausted from all this week's activity. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much, though. And folks, um, whatever happens uh, next in the markets, Lance and I will be tracking it here next weekend. Thanks so much for watching.